The Clerk of Tynwald's office is calling for interested parties to apply for a new role, the Tynwald Auditor-General. The estimated budget for the appointment and their associated offices around 400000 so how can this be justified at a time of financial constraint? Dewan Watterson has long been an advocate for introducing this role, and he explains all on tonight's show. He also talks about that little spat about committees he had with Laurie Hooper. Can we afford to spend 400000 to save at least £1.2 Indeed, can we afford not to? I suppose to start with, it would be interesting to know a little bit about this new appointment. Was it Tynwald Auditor-General? Um, it seems, I would imagine to many people, that uh, this is uh, a, a, a large expense and surely this is just doing the job that MHK should be doing anyway and scrutinising uh, the finances and uh, uh, financial affairs of government. Well, as you know, I've been a, a strong proponent of this uh, office for, for some time and been looking forward to seeing it come to fruition. And uh, the job is out for advertisement at the moment, so uh, is able to, to take uh, applications. Uh, one of the key points about this job that uh, has sold it to Tinwald is that we expect this person to make three times their salary in savings within three years. Um, so it's got a real sense of value for money driven uh, output outcome associated with this role. That's not like most of the public sector roles and there is a, a, there's a review in there so if this isn't working out but I suspect that um, with a £1.2 billion max budget and spending a £100,000 on their salary, um, I would be amazed if we couldn't find um, that those sort of multiples of savings. Um, yes, you could argue that this is the job of, of MHKs to do, but you know, MHKs are straight in off the street, very little training given to them. Um, so this is someone who will have a, a track record of value for money, a track record of financial experience. And we'd expect them to hit the ground running, set the office up and start delivering on those multiples of, of savings and good governance, which will report direct to Tinwald rather than be someone who's uh, responding to government. And again, that independence of thought, independence of mind is a key characteristic of the role, which is shared by just about every country in the Commonwealth. This is a part of those institutions of good government. And of course, as you say then, most parliaments have the equivalent of a Tinwald or the general. It's a very small list of ones that don't um, around the world and they're not normally the sort of company you'd like to keep. I think North Korea, the, a couple of the stands didn't have one, but but actually this is something that's an internationally recognised benchmark for, for good governance. And, of course, committees presumably will be able to work with the uh, the, the Tynwald Auditor-General when, when they're in post. Presumably uh, a committee <coughs> could refer a matter to the Tynwald Auditor-General. It could do, but the important thing is that they're, import- they're in charge of their own work programme. Um, they can't just be deluged by uh, lots of other people and be instructed by anybody uh, so again that independence of the role is, is absolutely critical in making sure that it works the, the key relationship will be with the public accounts committee um, but yes anyone not just within the committee system anyone in Tinwald, anyone member of the public could refer matters to them where they can see um, waste inefficiency um, savings that, that could be made and it would be up to that office holder though to uh, prioritize those and to work out what they're going to uh, to report on to to Tynwald in due course. And and this is something that has been around for quite a while in terms of I know your your ambition, but 
Um, was it uh, government policy as well to, to have this, but it's just never quite managed to, to, to get it off the no, ground? No, it's been an uphill struggle. The, the, uh, the Act was 2011. I don't think it was government policy because uh, I think moving forward with the, uh, the bill was a good way of making sure that they could control the progress of it. Um, but the fact that it's never been introduced in the last 10 years um, says a lot about how committed... Go- successive governments have been to this this office which you know has been around in the united kingdom since 1314 so we're a little bit you know behind the curve on this one and this is perhaps as much as anything the classic situation of where we we can't afford to save uh, money Uh, yeah it's 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 always seemed like a short-sighted decision not to have this office um i'm really hopeful that we get a really good quality candidate as the first uh tinnled auditor general they get the office set up in a in a couple of years they get the staff in they get looking at projects and by year three we want them to be starting to say as i say save multiples of their salary and in terms of the budget then what is there a set uh budget uh that's given for this or is this something that the new uh, uh office holder will will presumably plead their case to, to the Timbald's um, Management Committee or, or Treasury? No, well, they will have to plead their, their case to Treasury, which will be an interesting discussion, but the, the indicative uh, budget for the entire office is uh, £400,000 a year. So again, we're, we're hoping to see that you know, £1.2 million of savings coming in after year three. Um, and if that doesn't work out, well, you know, the Auditor General will be a fixed term appointment. And so if it doesn't work, then it'll be up to Tinnell to see whether they want to carry on with it. And I know, because I've, I've, I've had these conversations with you <coughs> in, in a, a different guise, um, but I, I know you, you have researched how these sorts of things work in other parliaments. And uh, you know, could, could you give some sorts of examples of the, the ways in which uh, Auditor Generals in other countries potentially have, have, have uh, saved the sorts of money that you're talking about? But yeah, I mean, some of it's looking at systems and processes. And uh, so, for example, the Public Accounts Committee at the moment is looking at the Liverpool landing stage and how much money is being spent there, how it's gone from a, a, a supposed to be a £15 million project to a £75 million project. Well, it's taken us a year to do that. We're doing it with, um, you know, very little accountancy experience. You kind of got got me to do to do that we've got some a great clerk and, and other members but it's going to take a year to do that review um and you know whether our, i think we'll be confident in our um, conclusions and improvements that we would recommend but if you've got somebody who is doing this day in day out you'd expect to see far more turnover of these sorts of reports that the public accounts committee can then deliver to tinwald um, so it will be to say sometimes a lot of the same work that that you've been seeing from the PAC over recent years, but just a lot more of it, um, because the work that we do, I think, has been saving saving government money if implemented. And I suppose therein lies the rub. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there isn't any specific requirement for government, I presume, to respond to findings of the Tinwell uh, Auditor General. Oh, no, there, there are uh, requirements for the uh, for the government to respond to them. Um, and then it's up to Tinwell, of course, through the scrutiny committees to make sure that those uh, feet are held to the fire, that the outcomes are delivered. And that's making sure that the scrutiny system, the Public Accounts Committee, are doing their job as parliamentarians holding the government to account. Is it, um, I mean, is the, the, this new office, I mean, will, will they be able to consider policy? Because a lot of the uh, the, the, the issues, I, I suppose, I mean, you, you raised the one there in terms of the, the, the new uh, um, landing uh, facility at mm-hmm. uh, Liverpool. And you know, th- these are policy-driven, and uh, 
uh, presumably, uh, the Auditor General will be able to question policy as well as the finance? No, it's not there to sort of try to undermine government's legitimate role in, in setting policy. What it's there to make sure is, is, is that policy being delivered in the best way, in the most value-driven economic way uh, for the taxpayer. Now, if government policy is that we need a landing stage and we need that in Liverpool, that's one thing, but has it been delivered in the best possible way, then that's quite another. So, uh, no, I don't expect the... Um, the Auditor General to go trampling over the toes of policy, but uh, sometimes in small jurisdictions, the line between uh, what's policy and what's delivery gets increasingly blurred, uh, sometimes at the behest of politicians. So that, that's going to be an important um, thing to police for both government and for the, um, for the Public Accounts Committee as that mediator. Having sat on both sides of the fence, which you, you have, uh, how would you be feeling in, in, if you were still a minister um, and uh, this appointment was about about to be made, um, would you be welcoming welcoming this with o- open arms, or would you have some fear and trepidation? I should be welcoming with open arms because this is about making sure that decisions are better made, better executed, that we're delivering uh, value for the taxpayer, and that. Um, if there are things that aren't going well, lessons are learned from them, documented and embedded into systems and processes, not just given lip service and moved on. So um, I think I would see this being a really valuable tool for ministers and for chief executives in, in making sure that government is as good as it can be. Is it possible, though, that um, I mean, we are speaking hypothetically, but uh, you raised the Liverpool landing stage there. I mean, it, it could well be that the Auditor General says, actually, uh, the whole department is run on a shoestring and needs significantly more resource if it's going to take on projects like this in the future, <coughs> uh, which could actually result in the opposite of, of the ambition, which is to save money. Well, it, it, the, the ambition isn't just to pr- produce the same amount of government at the lowest amount of cost. It's value for money is about both value and money. It's uh, not necessarily the, the cheapest answer to everything it's about getting what you're paying for that's the test that we're asking um, this person to to, to, uh, to check because uh, this it's not just about the lowest bidder every time because sometimes you get the lowest bidder they haven't thought about several things and the cost pile up and the cost pile up um, and the more complicated the pro, uh, the project uh, the more complicated very often the solutions are and whether they have matched the resources required to the Uh, to the complexity of the problem. Well, that's about have you done the job properly? Um, So value for money is going to be a a function of that, um, but it's not necessarily the same amount of government at the lowest amount of cost. Moving on then uh, (coughs) in relation to committees, um, I mean, there's there's a little bit of a spat uh, opened up between yourself and uh, Laurie Hooper. Uh, Laurie suggesting that uh, the committee system is uh, in need of review and a a degree of (laughs) modernisation. And and you suggesting, and I'm putting words into your mouth here, that uh, the system is working fine and, and there's not a problem. Um, how would you uh, summarise the, uh, the, the, that, that particular debate? Well, I don't need to because you, you've decided to put words into me now. <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, Laurie's sort of coming from the right place in, in this particular argument. I mean, uh, he, he's saying that there's a lot more that needs to be opened up in terms of how the committees uh, do their business. Um, that's interesting compared to a lot of departments whose agendas and minutes are not published. The council ministers' proceedings are statutorily confidential. And I don't have a particular problem with that because 
um, there needs to be a safe space for these discussions. There needs to be a, some discussion behind closed doors about how, how you formulate your policy, what it should be, and then presenting that for scrutiny, for debate in Tynwald. If that's good enough for government, then why isn't that good enough for scrutiny committees as well? That's all that uh, the, the current system provides for. It's about people being able to sit down, look at what's going on, discuss it um, either behind closed doors as a committee, taking evidence in public very often, again, something that government isn't always uh, uh, hot at, um, and then producing a report that goes to Tinwald for scrutiny, for debate, and uh, ultimately for vote. So I, I think it's very much a, <clears throat> a meeting of equals in, in this sort of sense. Um, Looking back, I think the the committee system has come on great strides since the uh, the early days when when you and I joined uh, Tinwald. Where those days there was a constitutional committee, an economic committee, and a scrutiny committee, um, and there were huge areas of government that were going unscrutinised entirely. You know, the the policy of you know entire departments, education uh, and home affairs, would have been two examples that very rarely got looked at in any sort of detail at all. So the new system that we have, um, which means that departments are sort of shadowed by a policy review committee, and those are joined together by the public accounts committee um, that does the value for money work and coordinates that work, um, is, is I think, a great uh, step forward from where we were 15 years ago, and is actually starting to ask good questions, hold departments to account for the policies that they espouse. You're listening to Speaker of the House of Keys, Dewan Watterson. I recall meeting uh, a, uh, a very wise Irish politician. I think he was a, 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 the equivalent of a deputy speaker in the Doyle. And I'd, I'd only been elected maybe uh, 12 months. And I was talking about the changes that I thought were necessary. And I said, perhaps I need to get a bit more experience of the system before um, before I, I start uh, on, on my radical reform agenda. And he, he turned to me and he said, no, 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 now is the time. Um, once you become comfortable uh, with the system, once you get to know the system, um, your desire to want to change it uh, will will diminish. So strike now uh, while you still have the, the sort of the, the burning desire to, to make the change. Is it fair to say, perhaps, that you've just become too familiar with the structure, or, or, uh, or do you genuinely believe that uh, it's as good as it can be? It's worse, isn't it? If you're partially the architect of it, then you, you, you could argue that, well, if it wasn't invented here, it can't be as good. No, I'd say the time to uh, reform a structure is as soon as you understand it. And, and as long as members sort of fully understand the, the pros and cons and that the solutions that they offer are better, then that's time for a debate. And I, I'm always up for making things better. The, the, the constraining factor in terms of improving the work of all of the committees of Tinwald that I've experienced has been the lack of resource and the, the ability to staff more committees within the same resources uh, that we have at the moment. Um, when, once we get that sorted, if we can uh, have an extra person here or there, um, then then that would mean the committees could do an awful lot more, could do perhaps an awful lot better. But that's the constraining factor. Um, and you know, in the, with the present uh, economic climate, uh, that I know would be a struggle to justify you know employing more people to do that. I interviewed uh, fairly recently uh, Bernard Moffat, and I forget who we were referring to, but I said, "Oh, are they they're chairing a committee onto such and such?" And he rather sarcastically uh, just said, oh, oh, yes, yes, aye, they're all chairing committees up there. Um, Just in terms of the the, the general public, 
what is the value? What what do, do we get out of uh, the, the the whole committee structure? Um, you know, I, I think perhaps uh, sometimes people uh, do have this rather um, derogatory and sarcastic uh, view of, of of the role of committees that they're just a talking shop and and nothing much gets achieved or perhaps worse than that um, it, they just create more more and more red tape to, to wrap up the processes and, and, and uh, uh, policies of government. Well who knew Bernard Moffat was a cynic um, <laughs> but I'll give you I'll just give you two examples off the top of my head the first one was the public accounts committee reports we did at the start of the last administration which highlighted deep significant flaws in the ability of the Department of Health and Social Care to deliver strategic change. That led to Sir Jonathan Michael coming over, doing his report, has led to Manx Care, but it's led to a real realisation that we had to do health differently because it wasn't working for the people of this island. That, I think, is not a bad outcome for a committee. Um, again, the back end of the last administration, um, the Poverty Committee made a report, uh, and one of the recommendations out of that was that the minimum wage should align with the living wage. The government has accepted that recommendation, meaning by the end of this administration, some 16% of the Manx workforce should no longer be living in poverty. These are the results of uh, detailed re- reviews, committee uh, reviews and reports that um, mean that sometimes you get more time to look at sm- narrower subjects in more detail um, with more focus lead to good results, good recommendations that are then accepted and make a real difference to the people of this island. And in terms of that, then that whole committee process, is, is there nothing that you would like to change that you think actually... Uh, you know, maybe if we just tweaked this or or introduced that, uh, things could be improved. Uh, there's nothing springs to mind in terms of a, a radical reform of the, the rules. What I would love to be able to do is do more reports, get them turned around faster, um, do more research, and, and that's all about having the people to do it. And don't get me wrong, the, the members of Tyndall that I work with on the committees that I work with try and put as much time as they can, but they're balancing that up against reviewing legislation, the, the monthly Tindled uh, sittings, the, uh, the financial implications, the constituency work. When you do all of those things, you st- and sometimes even trying to hold down a family life as well, when you're trying to do all of that, committees can only take so much of your time, and therein lies a, a few of the bottlenecks. Now, again, I think it's been improved by recognising that scrutiny committees are an important um, facet of that Manx constitution that we have. Um, so PAC is uh, carved out of that and people are able to give that a bit more time. It tends to be that they have fewer department responsibilities as well, so they can give that bit more time. And we're seeing the results of that, but there just aren't enough hours in the day for members. There aren't enough hours in the day for the clerks. Um, so I think for the sort of resources that we have, we provide a pretty good service to the Manx people through that committee system. Because often uh, you know, another uh, public uh, charge that you hear from time to time is we've got far too members of uh, too, <coughs> far too many members. It's time we cut the numbers down. Um, is that a, a fair challenge? Or uh, I'm guessing uh, from what you've already said, you you, you may think that uh, that's not uh, an, an ideal thing to do. No, I mean whilst uh, comparisons with the UK, perhaps not a great one at the at the moment. Uh, but you know, they've got 650 people to share this workload. We're talking about 24 MHKs uh, and another eight uh, MLCs who can who can share this burden. Now, the advantage of MLCs not having um, 
an electorate, a constituency base, does mean that they don't have that uh, element of time that they have there, so they can offer a bit more to the committee system very often. Um, but yeah, you've got 24 people, nine of them are going to be in the Council of Ministers, um, you've got a, a speaker, you've, you've got then the rest, and some are more engaged in, in the process than others. So. Um, if only it were a coalition of the willing. So perhaps there is something to be said about the way that we elect members and we've tried to make it so that they um, they apply, should we say, for the job rather than just being thrown on a committee whether they're interested in it or not. I think that's a system that perhaps needs a little refinement. I don't think we're quite there yet. We're putting square pegs in square holes. Um, some committees could quite happily have sort of four or five people on them because of the sheer interest in it um, and that's something that we don't accommodate at the moment um, but the more people you have the harder it is to schedule meetings so again you, know, you have these tensions and balances that are sort of uh, built into the system but it will be what members want it to be at the end of the day. And in terms of resource, I mean, one of the obvious things that would be helpful, I presume, to Timbald members is having uh, a, a good uh, research department. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly uh, when I was first elected uh, back in 2003, the Clark of Timbald's office was reasonably well funded in, in that regard. Um, but it has suffered over the, uh, the I suppose it's nearly 20 years since then, uh, in terms of uh, having limited uh, budgets, yeah, um, and you know we haven't uh, applied for uh, budget increases for the last well since since I've been speaker. Certainly, just because the fact that you know when times are tough, there's not an awful lot of uh, uh, people going to support putting money into Parliament as opposed to putting it into health and education and police and all, and all the other things that that people seem to value higher. Don't get me wrong, the value of Parliament is immense, but it's not always immediately seen uh, by the public, and that then comes through. In, in those budget bids. Um, so we haven't gone down that road of, of asking for, for more resources. Um, we have, however, had increasing demands uh, put on uh, the office. Um, you know, There are only 22 uh, staff in the Clark Tinnell's office, and when you compare that with the 8,000 around the public service, that's a, a, a very small proportion of it. And yet they have to do everything from uh, Hansard research, engagement, clerking committees, the, uh, the sittings of House of Keys, Legislative Council and Tinwald uh, and that's there's an awful lot of work in, in doing all that and an increasing expectation of members around engagement, around um, reaching out to the public about explaining who we are and what we're doing as well as bringing people in uh, to the island to, to see that uh, and all of this takes time, energy and effort and I have to say the, the staff of the clerk of Tinwald's office are fantastic public servants in delivering that, they f- never cease to go above and beyond um, but we do it within the uh, the constraints we have. And final uh, question, I suppose, uh, is it um, how do we get over, or how do you, as, as uh, particularly in your role as speaker, how do you get over to the public the 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 importance and value of the work that happens in um, the various branches <coughs> of Tinwald? Yeah, I think it's uh, about sort of joining those dots that people don't always see. So when I said about. Um, Manx Care and the, the, the changes that are needed, you know, the, the things that are going on around legislation, around uh, the complaint system and improving uh, health services, you've got to draw those dots back to actually what, what triggered that. And actually what triggered that was a public accounts committee report. When you talk, when people are starting to see real increases in uh, their wage packets uh, uh, who are on minimum wage and are seeing those go up by more than inflation, when you track that back, it was the Select Committee of Poverty that uh, recommended that and that's the, the the trigger for that sort of action so if you 
track things back and you join those dots, that's where I think Tynwald's going to get its credibility for making real changes in the lives of people with the assistance of government, with, through, through Tynwald as a body. Um, but that's where social change is going to come from on this island. That was Speaker of the House of Keys, Dewan Watterson. Are you convinced by his arguments? Do we underestimate the value of committees or are they just hot air and nonsense? Let me know what you think by contacting philgorn at manxradio.com and get in touch if you have any ideas for future programmes. Don't forget this programme is available as a podcast on Manx Radio's website. For now though, I'm Phil Gorn. Goromayo, thanks for listening. <laughs>